Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted to sample the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to heal and get better in all areas of life. And I want to do it with you. Welcome to Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, where we improve and heal all parts of our lives, most importantly, our health. Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, your life improvement series starts now. We can chase after money so much and our net worth becomes our self-worth. But if that number from the bank disappears, who are you the next day? People who say, I don't have any money, um, and whatever, scarcity consciousness, they're scared, they're fearful. That self-prophecy recycles. Money is a master mentor. And the way that you relate to it is the way it will show up for you. The more peaceful I am, the more profitable I become. You are doing us such a service with this book because knowing who you are is so important to get to where you want to go in every aspect of life. But I've never heard anybody really talk about it in the financial kind of way. So it was great. And then we all took the quiz here to know our money personality. And I think maybe we probably start with that because let's just get right to it. So Jeff has all of our results. He knows what we've all you know, test it out to be. And the the game is on. So, um, Kevin, are you here with us? I am here. Oh, Kevin is so Kevin depressed. is nervous. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> All right. Rachel, I will start with our queen, of course, Maria Menounos. Um, she was diagnosed with a strong safety-focused mindset, a strong scarcity mentality, <laughs> And she's billed as an extreme saver. And as you get to know a bit of both how Kevin and Maria grew up, I think it'll be a very interesting way to see how their classroom factors into their current money spending. But let me just keep going. I'll just give you all of Hold us. on in one fact, second. So I like okay. I like what you just said, Jeff, because so the whole point of this, first of all, we'll have our fun shaming each other for our different things. But um, <laughs> the whole point of this is we want to know who we are, why we became who we are so that we can figure out using the strengths and the weaknesses and, and, and accordingly. So the money classroom is, I think, super interesting. So there are four money classrooms that you talk yes. about. Um, and it really is based on kind of what we grew up with, right? 
That's right. Yeah. So, so your home growing up, you could say, was your classroom in every aspect of life. That's where you learned your lessons. Mm -hmm. And then you went out into adulthood and you decided, OK, these are lessons that I want to take with me. Here are some lessons I wish I could unlearn from my family. But you take those lessons with you. And depending on your money tendencies and your personality is how those lessons really affected you. But your childhood growing up, yeah, was that classroom. And it was a huge part of your money story today. Okay, so Jeff, I'm an extreme saver, which I learned from my dad. And so now Jeff, continue. Um, again, the, the safety-focused minds... Oh, this is... I'm going to move on to Kevin. Okay, okay, so this is, of course... Our listeners know, but if you're new to the show, this is Maria's <laughs> husband. <laughs> you guys... Uh, and business partner. And I think you guys have um, diametrically opposed philosophies <laughs> with money. So uh, I'm reading Kevin's results now. He is an extreme spender. So you're both on the extreme side. Um, he also has a moderate scarcity mindset, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. So you kind of share that. And also a strong safety-focused mindset. So you share some things, but you completely diverge in your philosophy towards saving or spending. I like to think that we complement each other, Rachel. And I like to think that he's more moderate scarcity because he grew up poor and then went to the rich town. He grew up yes. in Medford and then went to Winchester. I just grew up poor and we kind of stayed there. <laughs> so well, I never got to moderate. You know what I mean? We just were always scared for just, money. Just and we extreme, didn't... just extreme. Yeah. So go ahead. Go ahead, Jeff. Well, no, I love it because I'm like, okay, neither one's right or wrong, right? So the spender, the saver, it's not right or wrong. Now, if you do go to the extremes constantly, that can get a little unhealthy. You do want a little bit of moderation, if you will. But yeah. I'm, I lean way more on the spender side. My husband leans way more on the, on the saver side. So you go down the list and usually opposites attract. So that's good that some of your foundational principles though, right? It's similar. So you're mm -hmm. sure you see eye to eye, maybe on more things with money than other couples. Not necessarily. But I think <laughs> like, no, I no. think I can I can break it down to water. Okay, this is how I explain Kevin and I's relationship financially when it comes to water. I, I am like water's free at home. He will go to 7-Eleven and buy the big, huge water bottles. He'll buy three of them. And I'm like, you're not going to drink three of them. It's going to end up in the car. Now we've wasted money. By the way, you would think I have nothing, no money. <laughs> like, I'm a sick human being. Okay, except he drinks all three of them. And then Maria somehow w wakes up like, wait, how are you 54 years old? And how did you pull off a year and a half renovation for, what, 3% of the budget of your high-end Hollywood contractor in in a matter of three and a half months, seven days a week, 16 hours a day doing physical labor in the worst heat. How did that happen? Because oh, he had three bottles of water. Yeah, maybe because I drink <laughs> He was about, hydrated. He was right? hydrated. No, it's but I do, I do whatever it takes to keep my body going, and that I do in lieu of the, I don't know, hydrocolonics, let's say, that all the L.A. people get and all the money they spend on their stuff, you know. I go the regular guy approach. But here's the thing. H2O. I'm basically, Rachel, painting you the picture of the extremes. And yes, what's yes. good is I would still have every penny I'd ever earned in the bank. But because of him, I've invested in my career, which actually is much smarter in the long run. Yes. But I would have been terrified because of the way I grew up. So we'll continue with the um, diagnoses of, yes, of okay, Jeff so, and um, Kelsey, and then you can share with us what you see and then how you would guide us to the next level. Um, so I'll start with my fabulous co-producer and partner in crime, Kelsey. Um, Kelsey, I'll actually throw to you because you have your results in there. Yes, I do. So, Rachel, I started to briefly tell this to you guys, and then we were going to save it for air because I know Maria is going to say you're kidding. But 
Here we go. <laughs> I got extreme saver, moderate scarcity mindset, and strong safety focus mindset. So why Maria is going to disagree is because I am a consumer. Which She's I, a huge consumer, I, Rachel. I have to be the one to tell the truth here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I lived I with her for months, so I know well, this girl loves to shop. And I do. I'm a consumer. <laughs> I'm definitely a consumer, but I also was the kid who I worked since I was in seventh grade, and I always had a little piggy bank stuffed in hiding in my closet that I would put all of my cash in there. Which Always. is scarcity mindset for sure. Yep. Yes, that's fascinating. No one in my family knew about it. My mom claimed she did. <laughs> she didn't. She definitely did it. And I always have a hard time. Like if I would get a wad or whatever, I couldn't spend it on anything. I was like, no, no, no. I need to save it. And I have a savings that I always put money into every month. So. so Which so, is so. super impressive. I feel like she's a really healthy balance probably. I was going to say on the spender saver scale, yes, that that like that's ideal right there, right? I'm a natural saver, but I've learned how how to spend some money, how to enjoy life a little bit, but I'm not extreme. Whereas a spender for me, I can go too extreme and I could just be going. I mean, like if I, I mean, I'm like, yeah, just cash out the 401k. We'll figure something out, right? I mean, not really, but like, but like that's that would be my my bent, which would be unhealthy. So my moderate is to say, no, I love to spend money. I have an easy time spending money. I don't have guilt or shame over it. I have a budget. I know what to spend. I'm good. But I've had to learn to save. And I do mm-hmm. save. I save first before I spend. I mean, I've had to put things in place in my life. So again, it's the same ideal idea that those extremes can get unhealthy, but that moderation is key. Sounds Your like you got dad it too. would disown you if you weren't a saver in some respect. You couldn't be a Ramsey. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> well, because saving offers a level of peace, right? And like mm-hmm. a level of freedom that you're like, yeah, I have options when I actually have money in the bank versus when you are living paycheck to paycheck. So so for me though, I I would rather outwork my spending habits than to save for things. Does that make Ooh. sense? Like I would rather like be like, oh no, no, I'll just I'll just work a little extra. I'll just no, I'll do a little bit more so that I can do things. But which Got is it. more of a status side. So one of the spectrums was status versus safety. And a lot of you guys were safety, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. My husband's mm-hmm. on that, where I'm a little bit more on the status side, which sounds bad. It's not bad. But I worked I work to spend. Like I work to go buy a great car or I work to go on a nice vacation where my husband's like, no, 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 we work to have money in the bank just in case something happens. And again, in moderation, neither one of these are extremes, but that's kind of my mindset. So I would rather work to spend than work to save. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Jeff, you're the final. Well, speaking of unhealthy extremes, (laughs) I'm an extreme saver. Let me just tell you, Rachel, as I was like raising the ranks as a producer in Hollywood, I was still sleeping on a deflating air mattress in a shared room. And it wasn't until I got married that my wife, who's probably too much of a spender, was like, dude, you can't sleep on an air mattress that's deflating and then go to a job to say that you're producing a show in Hollywood. And I was like, you know, she's right. So I have a <laughs> strong, strong saver mentality. Let me just pull it up real quick. Yeah, I'm a extreme saver with a scarcity mentality and a strong safety focused mindset. Jeff, okay. tell everyone where they can take similar. this test. Yes. And you can, we're going to link it in the description. You can take this test um, below in the YouTube video or the podcast, but uh, it's also on Rachel's website. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. (laughs) And that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, 
for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's frizzy Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Waze new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Waze seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. Perfect. So Rachel, now you have all of our diagnoses. You know our money personalities. It seems like me, Jeff, and Kelsey are all on the same page. And then we've got our rebel, Kevin. (laughs) 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 Well, you got and and it's so funny because working on your shit, like what you're doing, I think would lend to exactly how your results were. Like that feels very predictable, if you will. And so again, it's this level of being wise. So moderation in everything in life, I feel like I've learned over the scope of my years here on earth, is healthy, right? Like if you go extreme on anything, you just kind of get stuck in this black and white mentality. Like having a little bit of that moderation to say, okay, there is a balance. There is a balance. We're not going to go spend everything we make. And I made the joke about cashing out the 401k. Like, like we're not going to do that. That's, that's stupid. You're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. But you're also not going to be a hoarder and hold money so tightly that number one, you're not living life. And then number two, there's a level of unhealthy emotion with money that it becomes too much of a safety net. Where, and I felt this, I was, I'd be curious if you have, if you relate to this at all, because like for me on paper, my husband Winston and I, we've married 11 years and we've been doing this stuff for 11 years. So we're in a place financially on paper that we're great. Like we are, we're fine. Again, we've been doing it for 11 years and that's where we are. But even during the pandemic, like 
July, August, September, there were multiple nights I would go to bed. I'm like, are we going to be okay? Like, is stuff going to just hit the fan in this world? And like, what's going to happen? Like, there were those days that early on, especially that we had no clue what was going to happen. And I found myself, I was like, wow, I'm, I'm allowing money to be my, like, to be that safety net. And that safety net was never really shaken for me until this pandemic. And it was more emotional, again, not as tactical, but man, I felt it shake for the first time. So then I think there is a level where it can be unhealthy, where you put too much of your safety and security money. Cause what if it all goes away? Like, what if that happens? Who are you? You know, your identity and where you're grounded in life and your character is extremely important in this process. And I feel like we can chase after money so much and our net worth becomes our self-worth. But if that number from the bank disappears, who are you the next day? And I think those are questions we have to ask ourselves if you do lean on that safety mentality, which I realize I probably do more. So as you said that, I thought of the person who did wake up and has nothing, a restaurant owner or, you know, a waitress. And I have the chills all the way down my body just thinking of what that feels like. Mm. So when you say you need to know who you are for that moment... How does that help that person and how do you guide them in that moment? Yeah, I think there's a level of stability in life that you have to put your value and principles around and whether that's a spiritual walk, whether that's family, whatever that is, it's like almost things money can't buy. And there's a level of putting investment of your time and your energy into those things in life that is really important because like all this material stuff we have is great. And I always say, I think I said it on your last podcast, probably that it's okay to have nice stuff. Just don't let your nice stuff have you. And I think in America, our stuff just owns us. Like our value and who we are is defined by our cars, by our houses, Mm -hmm. by if our uh, inflatable mattress has a hole or not. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, like man, it just defines who we are. And that's scary when all of your identity is wrapped into that stuff. And so I think you just have to check yourself. And again, I like to see what are things money can't buy? Mm -hmm. Because that's the stuff that's going to outlast. So, okay. This new book, um, is about abundance. One of Kelsey's first questions. You had a question when we were in the in the office to get today. Oh yeah. <laughs> what was your question, Kelsey? My well, I feel like Deepak, so many people, it's like, okay, I don't have money. I want money. How do I get money? So I said it in a funny way. I said, how do we get wealthier? How do we bring that abundance of wealth in? But I said it funny. So then Maria was making fun of me. <laughs> but the question still pertains. How, like, you say that we come from a scarcity mindset and that's why we don't have abundance in our lives. But what about for those people who are like, I need money to live? Yeah. When it is your reality that you are having a challenge paying your bills, look at gas prices are exploding. Inflation is killing our supermarket bills. When you are in that place where you don't know if you're going to be able to pay your electricity bill or your be able to buy your groceries. How do you get out of that scarcity mindset and into an abundance mindset so that more can come? And how do you explain that more will come? Yeah, I mean, we can't solve this in two minutes, but... We um, have plenty of time, Deepak. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, <clears throat> you know, are you at cause or are you at effect? And people who say, I don't have any money, um, just and whatever, scarcity consciousness, they're scared, they're fearful. That self-prophecy recycles. Their concern about money actually makes their anxiety about money even more. And I have done some work on research on well-being with Gallup, and uh, it's fascinating. 
you know, we look at career well-being, purpose well-being, social well-being, um, professional well-being, community well-being, financial well-being, emotional well-being, spiritual well-being. But the number one anxiety that people have, notwithstanding they may be in the midst of a divorce or somebody has died in the family, it doesn't matter. Number one concern is still money. So when I wrote this book, I was actually, I happened to come across a lyric from Bob Marley. And he said, some people are so poor, all they have is money. And you know, I loved that quote. And I then went and did research on happiness and joy and things like that and abundance. And you may or may not know, but social scientists have something they talk about called the happiness formula. And actually it's an equation. H is equal to S plus C plus V. H stands for happiness, is equal to S, set point in the brain. Set point for happiness or unhappiness. And here's how it is created. It creates 50% of your experience every day of happiness comes from your set point in the brain. Uh, mind, brain, same thing. So if you were growing up um, in the first three, four, five years of your life in an environment with your parents, mm -hmm. <clears throat> where your parents were always complaining, condemning, criticizing, playing the victim, then you end up being unhappy. Uh, that's unhappy set point. If on the other hand, your parents, and this is very interesting, were always finding opportunities in the midst of adversity, like pandemic uh, created lots of opportunities for Zoom, for mm -hmm. vaccines, you name it. I can name you 25 things that were discovered during the pandemic and how people made money out of it. So people who were looking for opportunities in the midst of adversity. But more important, with their child, they paid attention, deep listening, appreciation, and noticing their gifts, affection, real deep caring and love, and acceptance, not trying to change them. These kids grew up to be happy people. Now you say that's bad news, I'd had nothing to do with it. But the answer is you can change your set point. You know, in the book I talk about how to determine your soul profile. We go through many meditations at seven levels of abundance uh, and rituals. And they're not something I created. They're ancient rituals. But people in the West don't understand them. You know, when mm -hmm. I say tantra, they take sex. It's not <laughs> that. Tantra is a ritual to trap energy, focus it, and realize intention. And then there are mantras and yantras and there are techniques that are very well known in the yogic traditions. So anyway, 50% of your experience comes from happiness or unhappiness is what happened in childhood. Is equal to S plus C, conditions of living, money. And so here's the data. If somebody wins the lottery, they're ecstatic in the beginning. In six months, they plateau. In one year, they're back to their set point. And two years, they're more miserable because now they're worried about parking their money in the Bahamas, or worried about taxes, <coughs> or all kinds most of Most of them have lost it by then. Yeah? Most of them have lost it by then, too. Yeah, most of them have lost it. <coughs> Looks what's happening with the oligarchs right, right now in Russia and so on. So uh, money is about 10% of you'd need money. Certainly, it's a very important thing. 
But it's if it's the only thing, if you've earned a lot of money and never lost it, did everything, you don't have joy, what's the point? The third part of the happiness formula is the choices we make every day. V, voluntary choices. People make two kinds of choices. One is for personal pleasure. Buy a new phone, or if you're very wealthy, a new yacht, or a Boeing jet, or whatever. Do those choices make you happy? Yeah, but only for a while. Mm -hmm. Then you have to redo the shopping or whatever. And if you have an addictive personality, then you get addicted to pleasure. There's another kind of choice that we can make, and that is uh, called in this research fulfillment. Fulfillment happens when you have meaning and purpose in your life, but even more important, when you make other people happy through those four A's, attention, affection, appreciation, acceptance. Uh, so when I look at that formula, I said, you know, the wisdom traditions had a lot to tell us about abundance, safety, security, love, belongingness, material success, creative expression, insight, intuition, higher vision, transcendence, even they addressed even things like existential unhappiness, you know, getting old, infirmity, death. There's nothing that wasn't covered in these wisdom traditions. So when I wrote the book, that's where I went. And in my tradition, by the way, which is Vedanta and Yoga, <coughs> four goals of life. Dharma, finding your life purpose, following your bliss, number one. Artha, which means uh, money. So you don't have to apologize for making money and being spiritual at the same time. It's actually said by the spiritual tradition I come from, you better make money. Oh, wow. But do it according to your values. You know. So in the book, I create a, a, a questionnaire where people can look at their values by doing something called a soul profile. And if you behave or act or speak or even think... Based on your values, soul profile, then you attract people in your ecosystem that have the same values. And what is money? It's the exchange of values. You know, if your values are alcohol and guns and weapons and pornography, yeah, you can make money. Settle in Las Vegas and deal with those people and you make money. But if your values are something different, then that's what will attract you. And, uh, you know, so. Uh, as a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. <laughs> you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili.
Hey, Hill Squad, we have been on quite the journey together, and we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better, and it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it, and we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself. Spread the message and share the show or your favorite episode with your friends. And if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Heal Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you. Kelsey is so great at making sure she responds to all of you. And finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heal events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heal Squad for as little as 10 dollars a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heel squad to join. Getting better isn't easy friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much and we love doing this thing called life with you. Money is important. It's not the only thing. It, in the context of everything, it becomes a means to fulfillment. It becomes a means to help others it becomes a means to have a wonderful life and mm-hmm. build a beautiful studio. Yeah. So it was Dharma. Oh, there's one more. There's one more, there's yeah. There's another Dharma, Artha. Hartha? Artha, A-R-T-H. Okay. Which That's means wealth, exchange <clears throat> of values to make money. The third is Kama, not Karma, Kama, as in Kama Sutra. But even that's misunderstood. Kama means sensual desire, delight in every experience. Yeah, including sexuality, but sensual delight. So when you're mindful in anything, eating, you get sensual delight. Seeing these colors, but mindful, you get sensual delight. We are so distracted, we have no sensual delight. So that's called kama. And the last one is called moksha, freedom from your selfie, because we've sacrificed ourselves for your selfie, means freedom from suffering, freedom from the fear of old age, infirmity, and death. And those are the four goals. And that's called liberation. Hmm. Or enlightenment, which is more commonly used here. The thing is, is that I feel like no one's really groomed with any of that. Growing up, it's like survival, you know, be good, do as you're told. And look out <clears throat> for number one. Yeah, and and do a job that's socially acceptable and will make a lot of money. That's yeah. it. What a tragic time we live in. You know, you you have a child full of wonder, <laughs> curiosity, joy. And then you kill then it. Then <laughs> you just condition him with the hypnosis of the social mind. And the poor kid is bamboozled into false constructs because by nature, humans are infinitely creative. In fact, if you're innocent, some of the things... I talk about in the book is how do we return to that place of innocence where everything is delightful. Mm-hmm. Which is what's going to attract the abundance Which will in all areas. Every area. Seek the highest first. Everything else comes. So I worked since I was like in seventh grade. Just whatever, whatever it was. And I would just like hide my little stash and my little ATM in my closet. But I never wanted to spend it. I would like you know, save, 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 save. And I could buy something, but I wouldn't. And if I did, I had so much guilt over it. Like, and I still do to this day. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of mine. And I'm always scared. Even if I have it, I'm like, I'm not going to have enough or I'm going to, you know, not be okay. So now picture yourself sitting on the other side of it as money. Mm. 
I'm squandered, I'm hidden, I'm locked, I'm scared of. Imagine that being the friendship or the relationship you have with money because money is a relationship, not a commodity, right? Mm. So we're all sitting there having these terrifying relationships with money and money's going, what the, <laughs> really, people? Can we? Can you love me a little? And mm-hmm. And a lot of it then becomes a mindset. It doesn't matter how much you have, it'll never be enough. So what you want to look at and what I say to people to break that kind of thing is look at how much, if something were to go wrong tomorrow, how much do I need to have and what can I work towards to get that? Once that's there, you don't get to say that one anymore because it's not true. And if you have a look at all of the things that you say about money, like there's never enough, there's never enough, is it really your truth anymore or whose truth are you still holding on to? Perhaps a better way to deal with that is to say to mom, dad, all of the parents, thank you so much for saying there wasn't enough. And then to yourself, thank you for wanting, because the way that we evolve in life is by wanting. So thank you for wanting. And then to money, thank you for being such a, excuse me, such a patient friend. Um, money, money wants to be wanted. It wants to know where to flow. It is like any other big force. And I notice that we often put it as an either or, right? It's either love or money. It's work-life balance or money. It's, uh, true fulfillment or money. Pearl money's become this all thing instead of an and thing. And with money, there's so much good that you can do for you and for others around you. It's it's how you educate yourself. It is a master mentor, really. Money is a master mentor. And the way that you relate to it is the way it will show up for you. When you begin to really have a loving relationship with it, and you get up in the morning, and I say to people things as simple as, good morning, money. Thank you so much. I have a warm bath this morning or a warm shower. Good morning, money. Thank you for the gas that's going into my car. You get me from A to B. Good morning, money. Did you see somebody took me out to lunch? Wasn't that amazing? I get it was a gift. When we begin to change our attitude to money, we begin to see that it is no different than love or any of those other big, big emotions. It is truly a wonderful, wonderful relationship. I wonder too if, um, gosh, I think that it robs us of so much joy to have this kind of challenging relationship with money. Because I know for myself, there was a point in my career where Kevin looked at me and he said, You need to start feeling your success. And if you don't, I'm going to go start shopping for you and bringing it home. Like you need to shop. And my stylist at the time would always like be shocked at me because I was like, oh, no, 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 I can't buy that because people give me things and I should just be grateful for with whatever I get. Even if it's stuff I didn't want, I was like, well, I'm getting gifts. How dare I want more than that or want something different than that? So I had to unravel a lot of stuff because my parents would see this when they'd come to California, like, Maria, you so lucky, everybody, they sending you things. I'm like, yeah, I know I am. And then I would feel guilty that I didn't have the actual jeans I wanted. I was just using the ones that were sent to me. I know this sounds like very high end problems. I get it. No, no, no. It's really not. It's a mindset that you're talking about. And Mm -hmm. it's that 
Be grateful for what you've got. Stop. Money is one of the best mentors for teaching us not to limit ourselves. Don't do that. When you've saved for something and you want that thing, go and get it. And tell money thank you. And yeah, what you were doing was taking on mom and dad's old language. Mm -hmm. Look how lucky you are. Look how much people love you. Look at what they give you. You should be grateful for what you've got. I'm truly grateful for what I've got. Which of them would you like? But you don't have to take that on. It's the, it's the good girl syndrome, and mm -hmm. it's what we all have. We have the good kid syndrome. If mom and dad said that we don't have money, well, it <clears throat> doesn't matter if I've got $100 million, we don't have money. Yeah, or the shame that parents will instill in you um, because their fears of you like losing it. So for me, because I was having this really incredible success, there was so much terror involved in any move I was making. If I was going to leave a show, my dad would have a freaking heart attack. I'm like, dad, no, no, it's a good move. It's a good move. And he would just be so freaked out about like what could happen, what bad things could happen. Eventually that stuff kind of sticks with you too and changes like, you know, me being a renegade. Then I started getting scared too. I was breaking away, but then ooh, they would get me back in. Um, so, so you had the two patterns, right? You had that beautiful thing. You know, we spoke about mm -hmm. you always have a pattern trying to emerge so that the other one can rest. Well, the one for you that wanted to rest was just be grateful for what you've got. And then the other one of if you've got a job, for heaven's sake, don't mess it up. And yes. that was very much the older generation's thinking. You don't job hop. Are you out of your mind? Mm -hmm. These days, if you're in the workforce, and I, I do a lot of executive coaching, if you're not moving, they look at you and go, you're obviously not very marketable. So times have changed, and we've got to be able to change and flow with it. So when we hold on to the old pattern, then we wonder why we're miserable, frustrated, limited, mm -hmm. annoyed, stuck. It's because we're still trying to fit into the old pattern. Much easier to say to the old pattern, thank you. You got mom yeah. and dad this far. My turn to take it here. What, what new pattern is waiting for me? And for my kids that I'm going to have, because if I don't teach them that success is amazing, it's possible and attainable, and money is the most beautiful byproduct and companion, they're going to learn the same thing. They're going to be freaked out every time they, to Kelsey's point, they'll sit there and save it. And when somebody says, go and buy that thing, they're going to go, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, 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 we don't buy, we save. Yep. Oh, no, I did the same thing. I mean... Uh, it, you know, and I think there's a balance too. Sometimes I didn't, but sometimes I did. But for the most part, I save, 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 um, because you're terrified for that rainy day, like Pooja mentioned as well. Absolutely. And you're terrified of the bottom falling out and then everyone laughing at you that you didn't handle your money well, because there's so much shame around it. So my question is, how do we successfully break out of that scarcity mindset, that fear? Because I do know logically that there have been times where I have just said F it recently, as I've been noticing these patterns. I, there was a suitcase that I wanted and it's a lot of money. Normally I would be like, there's just no way. And I was like, you know what? F it. I'm worth it. I deserve it. I went, I bought it. And then other things started coming and I was like, oh, this yep. is interesting. Yep. So 
the energy in which you purchase something, I believe makes a difference in how, because, you know, they say money has to flow. Like you said, it's got to, you got to spend it to get it in a weird way. I don't, how it works, you'll explain. But um, if you purchase with fear, then that's going to carry an energy. But if you purchase with, you know, balls and excitement. It's, it's balls and love and appreciation. <laughs> yeah. Because here's the deal. When you purchase with fear, you're going, oh, that was a terrible, that was a mistake. I should never have done that. That was too much. Oh my goodness. Let me put it away. Let me hide it. I'm not going to use that. I'll use it once or twice maybe, but I'm going to feel guilty about it. What are you doing? You're saying to yourself, money is not welcome here. Expressions of money are not welcome here. Flow is not welcome here. Now you're defaulting to the old family pattern, which means eventually you will say, I am so proud of being so frugal that I'm poor. And money's going to go, well, clearly she doesn't want me here. I better go find another place to hang out. When you went in and you said to money, at least to, yeah, to money, I'm buying the suitcase or was, you, you said I'm worth it. I deserve it. Yeah. Money, come be a friend with me. Let's go and get that. Look what we did together. Look what the work just did together. Thank you. Let's do more of that. Money was like, grab her while she's awake. Just get in there, people. Give her stuff so she gets the message. <laughs> yeah, it's like the reward so that you'll keep doing it. That's it. Keep keep doing it. Keep doing it. Money is begging, longing for a place to play with you. It's saying to you, we could have so much fun. Do you know all the things we could do? Maria, open your eyes. There's so much that we could make happen here. And what you're doing when you do that is you're serving your family system. You're saying to the family system, of course, we can expand. Somebody had to do it. I will take that. It's you're being loyal to the family in a very different way. You're saying for all of you who couldn't, I can watch me. There is a way. And now the family goes, Dawn, she's not burning in hell here because she's got money. Hmm, that looks interesting. Perhaps we'll all start moving our mindsets that way. So you really are serving your family, your community, and humanity when you start looking at money with love. Let's go back because I want everyone to hear how you got out of this. Mm -hmm. Banks close. You guys sell the matching Range Rovers, the 6,000 square foot house. You move to Louisiana or you flee to Louisiana. You have this aha moment with this Bible passage. You start this blog and then what happens? So I just want to say I didn't sell the house it foreclosed. Oh, and sorry. I Good point. I didn't, I didn't sell the cars. They were repossessed. So Good I just point. want to make sure. They're, they're, no, they're very clear. clear. I appreciate that. You're right. <laughs> that would have been great. I wish that was the story. That's not what happened. But thank you so for I the get clarification. Up off this bathroom floor and I start this free blog. And I'm I'm doing the blog every week. I'm like picking apart a proverb that has a money or business lesson and sharing my thoughts. And I thought that was the easiest way to share with friends. So initially, I don't really know online stuff. I owned a brick and mortar business. I'm emailing these blogs out um, to friends and family. And the first couple of weeks, people thought it was cute. They entertained me. And shortly thereafter, I realized not even my mom or my husband was reading. And I was like, Maybe I need to get on LinkedIn <laughs> and and start looking for a job. Although I had been an entrepreneur, you know, up until that point, I'm like, maybe I need a job. So I stopped writing. And I'll never forget this man emailed me out of the clear blue sky one day and said, hey, um, 
I hope you're well. I've been reading your blog and you haven't posted in a while. Just want to be sure you're good. And I was like, stranger danger. Who is this man? I've never seen this. I didn't even understand how to look at analytics or like the back end. I didn't see that people were commenting and I needed to approve the comments. I didn't understand any of that, girl. I was just going in, making oh my, my little post, hitting publish, waiting for friends to reply to my email and say they read it. And, you know, I almost gave up. I, I literally hadn't done anything in weeks with the blog and I almost gave up. And that was the lesson for me. That was an audience of one is still an audience. Mm. If I'm only going to write for this guy, I'm going to keep writing. But then I realized through analytics that actually 40 people <laughs> were, were reading or seeing it. And this is in 2009. Um, and that turned into me actually pursuing writing for other websites. And then I ended up being asked to write for a few magazines like Black Enterprise. And then... I needed to defend myself. There's one article I wrote for uh, a pretty big site back then and a local radio station picked it up and they were talking about me, not in the best way. And people were tagging me on Twitter and I didn't understand what was going on because the station was in Texas. And I called them to see if I could come on and share my perspective, like why I wrote what I wrote. And they, they allowed that. And then next thing you know, I was getting invited to do that more often. Um, and by 2014, uh, by then I had written two books. And that's when I started on the Steve Harvey show. I became the money maven of the Steve Harvey show. I did four years answering people's personal finance questions every year. But it was just like one, I call them God winks, like one yeah. thing after another. And I was just following the breadcrumbs. I really, when I was on the bathroom floor, I was not... Like, oh, I want to be an author. I want to be a speaker. I want to do this. I was like, how can I share with people what I just learned? And that guy affirming that for me made me realize if it's one person, I'm going to keep down this path. It just so happens it's been millions and I'm grateful for that. But my heart has always been if it's one person, I'm going to do it. Wow. When you started the blog, was it one of those things where it was helpful to you to be processing this, these money tips as well. Like I started better together cause I'm like, I want to go on this journey to get better in all areas of life. So I'm going to do it with you cause it's a lot more fun to do it with people. So this isn't me always preaching and teaching or whatever, or bringing on amazing guests like you. It's like, we're all in this together. We're all going on this journey. So I'm gaining every single day. Yes. Was it like that for you? <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. It was definitely like that for me. My heart was like, you know, when people would reach out to me and ask me, basically, who are you? Like, I, I, I like this. When I started to write for some of the websites, it was like, well, what is this lady's background? Should I even take her seriously? Yeah. I still had like a Yahoo account, I think, back then. And I remember it being in the byline that you could send me a message at Yahoo. And one of the comments were like, I, why would you trust this lady? She still has a Yahoo account like back in the day. It was, you know, comments yeah, were brutal even back then. Right. Yeah. And I was like, you know, they were like, who are you? And I, I would say I did lose all my money, but my mind isn't bad. The fact that I can create a seven figure business by 25, I got to know something. And I used to say, God, been there, done that on the way back. Right. Because the lessons were the lessons, but this is where my current brand, Redefining Wealth, comes from. When people would ask me, well, how did you... Because I eventually left New Orleans and ended up sleeping on my brother's couch in Atlanta. 
um, for several months with my baby. And when people say, well, how did you get off your brother's couch and sit on the couch next to Dr. Oz or Steve Harvey or whoever? It wasn't the money stuff anymore. It was all the internal work. It was the work I was doing on other parts of my life that I believe prepped me to receive opportunities that would create financial wealth. So even to this day, when I talk about wealth, what we always share is that wealth is so much more than money and material possessions. One of the things that I learned in 2009 while I was deep diving between knowledge and wisdom and all this stuff, it was also looking at wealth. And I found that the original 12th century definition of wealth is actually the condition of well-being. That was the original definition. It was never money. It was never assets. It was never material possessions. It was the condition of well-being. And also it said happiness. And I remember this feeling of, I know I'm not happy with where I am financially, but how can I make myself happier, right? Just in life. And I didn't call it the six pillars of wealth. That's what my community and I call it now. At the time, it was just, what are the things that I could do to make myself happy? For me, working out made me happy. So instead of avoiding it and allowing all the pressures of constant eviction notices and people turning the power off and dealing with folks at the welfare office. Instead of all of that being the only thing that I I dwelled on in that season, I was like, what are the things that can make me happy? I remember, Maria, I found a Target gift card in a bag that someone had given us from my daughter's, uh, for my daughter's birth. And it had like $50 on it. And we, I went to Target with it immediately. You know, I was so excited, right? It was like finding candy or something. I was so excited. I went to Target. And one of the things that I knew would make me happy was to bring more joy into the space because we lived in this, you know, a little teeny apartment and it wasn't in the best neighborhood. And I spent a lot of time in the bathroom because that was the only like alone space. Hence, that's where I had my come to Jesus, Right. But I went and found like a shower curtain and some towels and little rug and all this stuff. It was on clearance. It was black and red. Didn't match a damn thing in the house. That didn't matter. (laughs) It was what was on sale. And I got all this stuff. And I could imagine people going financially, that was not responsible. Mm -hmm. You have a kid. You should have gotten, you know, formula or any of these things. But something in me was like, you need to create a sacred space. Even in this teeny tiny space, you need to create a space that you can enjoy. And I used that $50 gift card. It probably came up to literally like $47. I was holding my breath the whole time. But I get back home and I, you know, zhuzh up the bathroom and organize things. And it brought me such peace, right? And when I look back over my story and this last decade, what has helped me rebuild my my financial wealth, but really mental wealth and just have peace again It was all the other parts of life that I was working on that had nothing to do directly with money. It's the thing that actually led me down this path. I have in like two weeks, I'll be complete with an MBA in behavioral finance and financial psychology. Wow. But really, it was just thank you. It was because I wanted (coughs) to understand the science of what I was already doing and what I knew to be true. Right. And I was like, "Uh, there's research behind this because right now it's all intuition. Mm -hmm. But 
it really proved the point that there are so many other parts of our lives that impact our finances, even when we're not thinking about it. And some of us are so consumed with money, money, money. I have to make more. I have to budget better. I have to save more. I need to learn how to invest. We're so focused on that, that there's all these other parts of our lives that are bankrupt. And if we don't work on those things, the money, we may get it, but we'll never sustain it. And that's the message that I have now. And when I look back over my life, truly what's gotten me here has been the ability to continue to look for these different parts of my life that need some support. They need some attention. And that's where I put my effort. The money is a natural byproduct. Drop every mic around us. Um, I see Kelsey freaking out in there. (laughs) I know what you're saying is true because my husband really knows this. I am, money is one of those things that I'm always afraid of because I grew up poor and I watched my parents struggle and we never had money and, and I am terrified to be back in that situation. So I, if it wasn't for Kevin, would still have the first dollar I ever made I would probably still live in like the smallest little, I I would go without just to have in the bank to feel that security and that safety. Mm-hmm. He is the one who is like just the renegade, Abundance. like, like let's invest in our business. And when I had brain surgery, he was like working around the house, like crazy to update and clean up and make everything look great. And I'm like, what are you doing? You psycho. I'm going to be out of work. And he's like, Maria, your sanity and your happiness is going to be more important right now than the money I'm spending to do this because you're going to be recovering. And if you're seeing things dilapidated or a mess, it's going to depress you more. Yes. Come on, Kevin. That's right? my kind of guy. Yes. Thank that's God. That's it. Yeah. Well, and that's why I always say like God brings people into your life for, for reasons. It's like, sometimes you need a little of them and they need a little of you, whether it's in your romantic relationship or in your friendships. But, um, but what you said there is so important because, you know, it isn't just about, um, how much money you have. It's like your happiness. I went for years starving myself of ever feeling any of my success. I was making so much money. I was so successful and I wouldn't buy myself anything. I was so sick, Patrice. I wouldn't buy water at the gas station because I'm like, oh, it's free when I go home. I was crazy. Okay. But that was so common. That was how I was doing it. And Kevin literally was like, Maria, you have to start buying things or you're never going to feel good and you're never going to own or feel your success. And it's been a problem that I've worked on now since, but um, definitely still not where I should be because it's, you know, it's a massive childhood thing to break. Oh, yes. But But this is why I tell people, right? When folks say, well, where's, what's, what should I start with when it comes to my finances? examining your childhood, Hmm. the verbal influences, the things that you heard, right? Um, What you saw, any modeling and any experiences, specific experiences. Many of us are still managing our finances through the lens of a childhood trauma experience. Mm -hmm. So you're 36, but like six-year-old version of you is still running the show. Yep. And, And many of us have to heal that. The first pillar at redefining wealth is fit. And we talk about becoming physically fit, yes, but mentally fit. When I, one of mine, and it wasn't necessarily a money thing, although I had many money instances, but I will tell you that I grew up feeling like the ugly 
kid, the ugly duckling in the family. And I was always told, oh, you're too dark or you're too tall or your lips are too full or any number of things. And so I really never identified as being pretty. I was the I was the achiever. So I got all my validation from getting A's, right? So as I got older and it started to become time for me to go out and build the business and those things, I would prevent myself from having conversations with people, always a really great talker, um, but I was ashamed of my face. So I didn't always want to be seen, right? Which is so crazy because so you're matter. gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. It didn't matter how many certifications I could get or how many books I could read. And nowadays, how many podcasts you could listen to. Many of us are trying to overcompensate, right? Imposter syndrome for what we feel like we lack. And that's the thing that's actually stopping us from getting to the wealth that we desire, stopping Mm -hmm. us from building better professional relationships or submitting the proposal or asking for the raise, right? It wasn't until after three years of therapy at 25 years old that I could look in the mirror without cringing and without wishing that I look like somebody else. When you look at pictures of me from my childhood, I was always tucking my lips in. I was slouching. I used to put on extra clothes so I could look a little thicker. Now I don't have that problem, girl. At 40, <laughs> I don't have that problem. But back then I did, right? And I was, I was doing all of these things. This is so important because had I not dealt with that childhood trauma, there's no way that I could be this version of Patrice that people see today. And I started to be vulnerable enough to tell that story because I would meet people and they would say, you're so confident and you've been on all these things. I look at my life today. There's no way that I could be on stages of up to 10,000 people. There's no way my face could be all in these magazines or on these book covers or the national television had I not dealt with that childhood trauma because our businesses and our finances, whatever it is that we're dreaming of, they're only going to grow to the extent we're willing to heal. And most people are not willing to heal and to deal with that childhood trauma. And they think it's a It's a, I need more schooling thing. You know more than enough, but whatever you dealt with in childhood is preventing you from actually following through with what you already know. Yes. Are we in therapy right now? This is amazing. I feel like I'm (laughs) supposed to go through all my problems right now. But I, we talk about childhood traumas here a lot and I see how it runs our ride. And I see that in my life, for example, the cycles that just kept repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating. And you're like, why me? Why does this keep happening to me? Well, it's not just happening to you. It's literally the the programming that's just running the ride. And until you can get Mm -hmm. off the ride and really address it and figure it out, um, you know, because my husband always was like, there's just some block. There's some block in there. And, And so- More money doesn't solve it. You're a perfect example. Having more money didn't solve, right? Or get to the heart of why you were in that cycle. Like more than, like you could buy a million bottles of water and you're like, no, that, no, I'm going to stay parched for another 36 minutes until I make it (laughs) home. Until I make it home. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I'll be parched. Like we... We're the same person. Yeah. I, I went through all of that, but now you know what season I'm in? Girl, I'm in a season where I believe in paying for peace. Yeah. (laughs) Like if I need support or if I need something, I am all about scaling joy and paying for peace. And I realize that the more peaceful I am, the more profitable I become. We think that we have to work harder and, you know, 
as a as a young black girl, I remember hearing all the time, you got to work twice as hard or three times as hard to be considered half as good. So what do we do? We create these cycles of burnout where we run ourselves into the ground trying to be accepted in mainstream America, right? I have la- learned though over these last several years in particular that the more at peace I am, actually the more productive I can be mm-hmm. and the more profitable I have become. And when people say less is more, that's what that's what they're referring to. Like it's not the, oh, I do all the things and I have to wear all the hats, you right? You starting a business as an entrepreneur, yes. When you first start, you are the janitor, the CEO, the marketing director, the assistant, you, like you do the runs, like you like you do everything. One of the exercises I give my clients now, though, is here is an organizational chart. It will start with your name in every box. But your goal should be, how do I keep erasing my name and adding someone else's? It is better (laughs) to invest in peace. (laughs) Like, I have learned to pay for peace. I'm not going to overstress myself about not a damn thing. Mm-hmm. And I and I don't feel bad anymore. The reason I didn't have support um, earlier too was kind of back to what you asked me uh, some time ago. I used to think that it was a bad thing to do stuff like pay someone to do the laundry, mm-hmm. right? Because that conditioning and that, you, you know, as a mother and a wife, you need to run your household. Yeah. You don't have anyone else coming in. And Okay, but is that the highest and best use of my time, of my energy, and does it bring me joy? It doesn't. Have And someone else's business could be supported. There's other people out there where this is how, this is how their livelihood yep. is set up. And you could be a blessing to them and go do the work that you're like created to do and be a blessing to those you're supposed to serve in that way. And so now, girl... I get help in every, mm-mm. I love it <laughs> like in every way. It's I can. so important. I mean, my programming was you don't pay to have anything done that you can do yourself. And that Isn't was that my, a lie from the pits of hell. Oh my God. I'm Greek. My parents are immigrants from Greece. They're like workhorses that can do everything. My dad could build a spaceship if I asked him to, like they can do anything. And They're I'm so, central American, yeah. first generation American, same thing. I saw people take absolutely nothing and turn it, turn it into everything. Always. But what got you to Egypt won't get you to the promised land. Ooh, say that, girl. As my friend Dean Graziosi taught me. And I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, I did, you know, that method got me to a certain place, but it's not going to get me to the next level. And it's funny because we just had this conversation maybe a few months ago with my husband. He's like, Maria, he's like, we have to start paying for shit. <laughs> He's like, like, we'll have a party and I'm like doing everything still. He's like, we have to start paying for people to help us. He's like, Mm -hmm. we can't do all of it ourselves. And I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely getting too old to do all of it. And also the real part of it is, like you said, it's not our best use of time. And I have found, um, you know, the same thing that you said, more is more. Um, I've really worked hard to try to simplify my life and I'm continuously simplifying my life. So my other question to you is you were 25 with 13 properties and all this stuff. Are you doing things differently now so that your life is simpler, but still abundant? Absolutely. Um, 
First of all, again, just that leaning on support. I like a lot of those properties I shouldn't have purchased at that time. I they were completely I was completely over leveraged, right? I didn't have mentorship, I didn't have coaching. I didn't know those things were a thing um back at that time and so I made a lot of decisions just based purely on emotions mm-hmm. and feelings and no facts. I'm still very spirit-led, but I try to be more strategic now. So before I make those types of decisions, I have a business manager, I have a financial planner, I have a financial advisor. Like I've I've incorporated, I feel like I surrounded myself with more accountability so I can get support. Doesn't mean I always take their advice. Cause like I said, I still reject advice that doesn't feel in alignment, but at least I will seek the wise counsel mm-hmm. so I can take it into consideration. Um, but I do, I live a much simpler life than I did at that time. And that's really one of the reasons that I believe in the work that I do with redefining wealth for yourself, because I've learned, especially in this space as an entrepreneur uh, and an online entrepreneur, that it becomes really easy to start looking at other people's goals and metrics and what they're achieving. And if you're not careful, you'll go, oh, I need to be on that list or I need to hit that thing. And now you're working for something that was not even assigned to you, mm-hmm. right? So now, and and then you're back in that that struggle. My prayer, like last year, my theme for the year was, Laura, how how do I become content with contentment? This This is the number that I desire to hit. I don't care that it's less than so-and-so's number or that my other girlfriends, and I'm surrounded by, again, I have some really amazing <laughs> friends, yeah. right? I have no idea. Sometimes I'm like, how do I have billionaires numbers in my phone? Like yep. really amazing things, right? But my daughter just started high school this year. Well, last year, right? She's in her freshman year of high school. What matters the most to me is spending as much time as I can watching TikToks with her, laughing every evening, getting into all the high school girl drama because it's so dramatic, right? (laughs) You have your own reality (laughs) show. (laughs) Right? It's like attending her basketball games and hanging out with her for me is the wealthiest thing. The highest and best use of my time. That is what really promotes my well-being in this season. That comes at a price that I'm willing to pay. Mm-hmm. That means I don't take every invitation anymore. That means I had to start to decide not just between good and great opportunities um, and not even just phenomenal opportunities. Now I have to choose between phenomenal and fulfilling. If it's not going to be fulfilling, but it's phenomenal money or a phenomenal platform, doesn't matter. I will say no. If it's not in alignment for me, it's just a no right now because I need this time these three years that I have left, three and a half years or so, to pour into my daughter. I've got one kid and she almost didn't make it. If you remember the original story, she is a miracle. She's my miracle and she's my gift. And I want to be present with this present that I feel God gave me. And so in this season, I don't care about hitting $10 million. I don't care about, you know, I, I don't care about those things. I still know that I have impact. Right. And I still know that I have great influence, but I'm not going to run myself ragged, you know, in somebody else's race. My race is with Reagan Washington right now. And as long as I'm present and upstairs by 530 p.m. when she's done with basketball, then that's a win for me. 
This podcast and all related content published or distributed by or on behalf of Maria Menunos or mariamenunos.com is for informational purposes only and may include information that is general in nature and that is not specific to you. Any information or opinions expressed or contained herein are not intended to serve as or replace medical advice, nor to diagnose, prescribe, or treat any disease, condition, illness, or injury, and you should consult the healthcare professional of your choice regarding all matters concerning your health, including before beginning any exercise, weight loss, or healthcare program. If you have or suspect you may have a healthcare emergency, please contact a qualified healthcare professional for treatment. Any information or opinions provided by a guest expert or host featured within website or on company's podcast are their own, not those of Maria Menounos or the company. Accordingly, Maria Menounos and the company cannot be responsible for any results or consequences or actions you may take based on information or opinions.